listen, Duchess. Do you hear the people? They cry out for change. Your weak-minded rule of Mandalore is at an end. The resurrection of our warrior past is about to begin. I am the Duchess of Mandalore. Your actions will bring our civilization to ruin. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. My only true loyalty is to Mandalore. Too bad our people can't stop fighting each other. You're dealing with the Mandalorians now, child. Not some Imperial officer fresh out of the Academy. I'm not planning on dying. Little Mandalorian. So proud. And tough, I think. We shall see. Make sure you put on a good show. You're listening to Radio Free Mandalore. News, reviews, and occasional interviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick. I'm Moth Beasley. I'm just Kevin. And today we're taking a look at the book Catalyst, a Rogue One novel. Tim, what'd you think? What did I think? How can you put it into words? It's actually a fantastic novel. I mean, standalone, it's a fantastic novel. Great writing. Amazing story. I love the learning about these individuals that we're going to see in uh, Rogue One, the movie, and getting so much backstory and so much information, so much thought into their, their mind that it's, it's just a great novel all around. Decent-sized, world worth the money. Good book. Good book. What about and you? unlike some of the other books that we've read and talked about, this one definitely ties in in a way that the others haven't. Oh, my God. You I feel mean, like this is really going to enhance the, the, the movie that we're all about to watch. I can't see it not. I mean, seeing the people on the big screen, and, and I, I both read part of it and then also listened to the audio version of it as well on Audible, and seeing their faces in my head kind of as I'm reading along or as I'm listening along, I'm just, it was just getting more and more exciting. And as the book started getting closer and closer to the end where, you know, the movie's going to pick up, it's just like, Oh my God, like the, the, the day cannot come quick enough for us to, to watch this movie. So the novel opens up in Clone Wars era and uh, Galen Erso is doing research on a Republic planet and he is working on, a project where he's using synthetic crystals or, or not, not synthetic, but they're not kyber crystals. They're, they're, they're sort of like kyber crystals on an energy project to try to find a way to bring limitless energy to planets. And while he's working on this, the um, planet falls to the separatists and he's arrested. And this is about the time that, uh, that Jin is born. Yep. Jin is born actually while he's in jail. That's right. So Lyra is Lyra, his wife, who we will see in the movie from the trailer. We know that she's going to be in the at least uh, in some capacity in Rogue One, but she is I don't know how many months pregnant when he gets uh, arrested and the world falls to the separatists. But he's in prison for almost a year, mm-hmm. and so they let him out to uh, to see his child be born and and have a couple days with her and the, and the child and then you know they throw him back in jail but it's actually really great there because he, they're trying to break him down trying to get him to move over to the separatist side and they kind of start building a bond where mm-hmm. he's not willing to he's galen let's just take that back back a step galen is a while he's on a republic 
world in the middle of war, he is not there for the Republic. Right. He, he is there for... He considers himself a conscientious objector to the war yep. and just sort of neutral. He's there for a company called Zerpin Industries that also takes sort of a, a middle stance on the war. They'll supply arms and weapons and supplies to both sides, but they're doing... He's doing energy enrichment research for basically a giant corporation that happened to give this kind of almost like a third world country planet uh, a lot of concessions and willing to you know help power their cities through his his research. Um, but he starts to kind of get to know these people and they kind of build a really great bond and you know when his when his daughter's born when Jen's born his captor comes up and gives him the biggest hug out of everyone. I thought that was really great to be able to see these kind of emotional connections because you get to hear their inner thoughts, you know? So you get to, that's what I love about novels. You get to hear more about what they're thinking and who they are. But then, uh, what, about a year into his captivity, Mm -hmm. uh, someone comes to his rescue. So he went to school, I believe, Mm -hmm. with, with Orson Krennic. And Krennic begins to put together a plan to rescue him. And this is part of Krennic's long con to bring Galen over to work for, at that point, the Republic. Uh, and he manufactures a way to do a trade for some other scientists and get him off the planet and make Galen feel like he's now in debt to Krennic so that he would be willing to continue the project, but not for any company, but for the Republic. Yep. I did that right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can kind of do a quick, like a, a big overview and then go in depth on parts sure. if you want, because... There's so many... A lot happens. Oh, my God. Like, so many little side stories that are just interesting where if you were to see... Like, I was talking to somebody about the book, and they're like, oh, they could totally make a movie out of that. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want a movie out of it. I don't need another full-length feature film. But if you did, like, a four-part miniseries on ABC or Netflix or something... Yeah, it would have to be longer dude. than a film because so much happens. In fact, it should be mentioned, at one point, they try to escape... And that marks the end of the war because they're surrounded by droids and the droids all shut down. Yeah. So by the time, and that, at that point, Jen's, a, Jen's about probably what, a couple months or a year old and then they get off planet. So that jumps yeah, into the second section of the book where they're now living in the Empire, living on Coruscant. Yeah, after, after Krennic helps them escape, which we'll come back to that in a second on kind of how he does it, but after he helps them um, or kind of like a, a prisoner trade and, and mm-hmm. gets off vault, which I thought was a crazy, a cool name for a, a, a uh, an alien world. Um, but after he gets off vault, they move back to Coruscant mm-hmm. where they have an apartment on one of the university campuses. And it's just kind of, there's a long period there where all that's happening to Galen and Lyra is just all revolved around how he's kind of been blacklisted, where right. he was originally taken in for charges of espionage. So now he's being thought of as like a double agent, like a spy for uh, the separatist. and Not a double agent, my apologies, just a, a spy for the separatist. So there's all this negativity around him where he can't get a job, they can't get any research positions, and then you know he still has this kind of looming target on him that he may go to now Republic jail. Right, and he's not a prisoner, but he can't leave, pla- leave the planet yep. until they decide. Prisoner without bars on right. his cell, if you will, but... They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. All the while, you know, Jen's starting to grow. 
and Krennic is kind of orchestrating all of this and ensnaring him in his kind of spider web. Uh, but yeah, when they're trying to get off planet, that's when uh, the separatists lose. Mm-hmm. And boom, the, the droids power down. And it's almost a PTSD moment for for Galen later on where he thought they were all going to die. You know, they, right. he, he mentions it, references it a few times later on where he thought his family was a goner and the Republic won. You know, they came to his aid and it kind of puts little notions in his head for later on. During the portion when uh, Krennic is bringing them from Vault to Coruscant, he stops by Galen's homeworld to show him that even though the war is not over, there's still fighting going on and that his planet's being destroyed and slowly trying to convince him to come work for for the Republic slash Empire. Mm-hmm. Although just nudging him along, mm-hmm. just keeping, just slowly putting the screws to him, if you will, to move Galen over to, to Krennic's side. Krennic is such an interesting character as well. Because he's not... He's not a Tarkin. He's not a Vader. He's not a, a Thrawn character where he's this huge, enigmatic, powerful person. But he's sly and he's slick mm-hmm. and he's calculating. And, and he even admits it. He was in the Futures program, which is kind of like a program for geniuses right. with Galen. And they all recognize that he is not He's not a genius. He's not a scientific mind by any means. But he's, he's still smart. But he is out of pure will he wants to move from you know being a nothing to being a somebody and he starts to move up the ranks in the corps of engineers Um, and you see how he uses almost that kind of engineering mind of how to put small pieces together make the bigger picture where he orchestrates this huge just very creepy kind of (laughs) and he's he's really patient galen yeah he's really patient he knew that this would take years Mm -hmm. whereas you know, there there was pressure on him to hurry up and get Galen on the project, and he just took his time. In fact, I think it took him a year to to rescue Galen in the first place, mm-hmm. and then several more years to just slowly but surely bring him over to his side. And that's kind of jumping back. The what I like about this book is just kind of the inner workings of everything, where Krennic meets with Masamita mm-hmm. um, and gets information about you know how things are going in the war. Um, he becomes not a, he's not the director yet. He's not in charge of anything revolving around uh, the Death Star project, which they're calling, uh, what do they call it in the beginning? I keep forgetting the name of the project. The project at the end is called Celestial Power. Yeah. But before that, they were just calling it like the, the center for something. Mm-hmm. It's like a group of 150 people that are making up all the projects that are going to be used to basically engineer and create the Death Star, which that's another thing. I, I, I know it's so nonlinear how we can talk about this book, but there's so many great things where you see without Palpatine even being in this book, mm-hmm. you learn so much more about how Palpatine has manipulated the entire galaxy, the entire universe in his plans where, you know, you see in episode two, they find the Death Star plans. They stumble across it. You know, Obi-Wan sees Dooku with them mm-hmm. and all that. And then you you get to see how they kind of came up with these plans and how they quote unquote fell into the Jedi's lap, you know. And it's all it's all planned. It's all planned to get it, you know, to to take the plans from the separatists, even though they really aren't the separatist plans, and then start building this super weapon because now it's almost a 
Cold War type situation where you're, you know, it's the race of the nuclear powers who can make the battle station first. And he's whether whether it's true or not, the emperor has convinced people under him that the separatists may have, have already started working on a Death Star. Mm-hmm. So there may be one out there somewhere. And what was interesting about the book is that it really shows that the the Death Star was pretty much done. It didn't take very long to build. They just couldn't get the weapon to work. And yeah. that's where Galen comes into the picture is they needed someone brilliant like him to build this weapon. And that, for me, answers that age-old question of if it took 20 years to make the first Death Star, why did, how were they able to make the second one so quickly? Mm-hmm. And it's because it was the project was just stalled because of the, the weapon. So once they cracked that code, they could have they could have just cranked out Death Stars every, every yeah. three years. So... Um, that, that cleared up a lot of things for me. People have been asking that question for a long time. Well, how did they make the second one so fast? Well, now we know. It didn't take that long. It was ready to go. They just, the weapon wasn't working. And they also, they probably started on it before too. Right. They were, they were, the, an interesting portion of the book is also spent around almost, almost episode one-esque politics mm-hmm. where you're having, Krennic basically finds a smuggler name of Haas Obit, which try reading that and not getting confused when his name is H-A-S yeah. and it starts off a sentence. If, if you're not paying attention to it, it, it confuses you for a quick second because you think it's just a start of a sentence, not a capitalized name. But uh, he hires this smuggler to help him in his different ruses and, and he basically smuggles arms onto protected worlds so that the Empire can find these arms that they've technically given to him to then say, we're now taking this world. Right. And they mine the shit out of it. They take all the ores that they can get, all the raw materials, to make this Death Star or Death Stars. And and they just start, just take a beautiful planet and turn it into a desolate rock because they're just chopping. De- they talk about these giant machines they drop off that just lop mountains into pieces and just you know billowing smoke into the sky because they're just taken everything they can from this planet down to bedrock. And that was very interesting, but also, again, very kind of scary when you're thinking about Palpatine's plans and the Empire's reach and and very unnerving, but Mm -hmm. very cool at the same time. And it it leads into the plot later on when you have, um, you know, after the year or so that Lyra and Galen are on Coruscant, finally things start to move in Galen's favor. And it's really only because Krennic is loosening the purse strings, if you mm-hmm. will, loosening the, the noose around his neck and allowing him to have a little bit more here and there. Um, as he meets with Tarkin. And Tarkin really is the one that releases him from that, what would you call it, that false imprisonment? Right. Or <laughs> right. Uh, travel ban. And then they, they start to go work for, uh, Galen goes to work for another company, another big industry company that allows him to go off world and restart his research um, but the entire time his wife Lyra unhappy and confused and she's being manipulated by Krennic as well uh, slowly but sur- surely she starts to suspect something's up mm-hmm. um, it should be mentioned that I wouldn't say she's force sensitive but she definitely believes in the force uh, and seem like someone that would have been a friend of the Jedi. And mm-hmm. when Krennic gives them this case of crystals, remember that Galen had been doing research on other types of crystals because kyber crystals were so hard to come by. And Galen supplies him with just this unlimited supply of, of actual kyber crystals. 
Lyra's the one that starts to suspect that based on the size of them, they were taken from Jedi lightsabers and it doesn't sit well with her. And I think that's where she really begins to suspect that something else is going on that they're not being told about, that it's not just as up on, uh, on the up and up as it seems. Well, that's, you kind of jumped a little bit too in the timeline of the book. Cause when Krennic gets, uh, helps, um, Galen get that job with helial something, the helial corp. Mm-hmm. What are they called? Galen butts heads with his new boss because he wants to just do his Helior thing. Helior hypercom. There we go. Yeah, there you go. I know it had a cool name. But he's he's we're doing the work there, and then Krennic finds Lyra a position on a research team. Right. And she's kind of like a explorer, geologist, mapper. She does all these kinds of different things in terms of finding new crystals, basically. Mm-hmm. And so he gets her a job to go check out a potential Kyber vein. But after, what, six months or so? And part of the reason he gets her the job is to get her out of get the her way. Away from Galen. And I think also just to keep keep an eye on her and see if she can be trusted. Mm-hmm. And when she leaves, she meets up with Hass Obed again, who mm-hmm. was their pilot that got them off vault. Right. And who is basically Krennic's little kind of spy, if you will. But... He doesn't fully trust Krennic. He doesn't want to work for Krennic, but he's under his thumb, if you will. Mm-hmm. But when they're coming back, Hass is the one that shows them these worlds that are being destroyed. And these are supposed to be legacy worlds where nothing excuse me, nothing can happen to them. Yeah. They're supposed to be protected. And he's he knows that he's done this to them basically. He mm-hmm. was the in you know, a pawn in the engineering of Krennic to get these resources for his Death Star. And that is, I think, one of the things that really sets Lyra off down this road of like, how does no one know about this? Mm-hmm. Well, if the Empire is holding this secret back, what other secrets? And if you're working for Krennic and you were the one that led to, to these planets, and it just kind of sets her down that spiraling road. Then she also starts to find out that some of Krennic's colleagues that mm-hmm. work on other planets are disappearing. Yep. And it turns out that Krennic's doing his research for energy, and then that research is being handed off Galen. to scientists. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> Galen's yeah. doing the research, um, and his research is handed off to other scientists on other worlds to figure out ways to weaponize it. For and, application. And there's a, uh, one, of the, one of the stations explodes. And Destroys. The, and the engineers... Is killed. Engineer, his engineer friend is killed, and Krennic just kind of denies, like, oh, I don't know, he, maybe he left the project, kind of thing. No one seems mm-hmm. to know where he he went, which is another thing that starts to make uh, Lyra suspect. Yeah, and around this time, that's when Galen goes to work. He's tired of that helial hypercom, just kind of making him do everything he wants um, or or I should say making him do everything they want, kind of pushing him away from exactly what he wants. Um, And that's when Krennic kind of brings him the opportunity that he's always wanted for him to run a facility Mm -hmm. with the kind of similar ideals of the, the emperor, you know, saying that he wants to provide free power to restore the once great Republic they need to rebuild and how they're going to do that is by providing power and his research can do that. And he manipulates them once again, builds a fantastic uh, facility. Galen's going to be in charge of everything. He's going to be doing all the research 
And then when they're doing these applications of his research, it's supposedly just for application into power, uh, like relays and power plants and things like that. But really, it's weapon stations, mm-hmm. and it's they're doing test fires, and the test fires is what goes wrong and explodes in yep. half a planet, basically. And Galen just thinks it's his research being applied to try to positively impact the the world. Um, Yeah, 10,000. Killed 10,000 people on the planet in one explosion. And Krennic takes Galen to show him this, Mm -hmm. that he needs to buckle down. He needs to almost simplify his his work so that other people can apply it better um, and really, you know, again, manipulates him over and over and over again. He he takes Galen there while Lyra's out on her six-month mission to check for kyber crystals. And what's interesting is he tells him that it's what he shows him is top secret. He can't tell anyone, including his wife. And this is when they start to grow apart because they're keeping secrets from each other. Mm -hmm. And that's, there's a kind of around that same time. That's when they bring in this giant kyber crystal Mm -hmm. that you can tell Galen even mentions that you can tell this was from a Jedi temple somewhere because there's like epoxy on the side of it, so it was mounted somewhere in a temple. But he starts using that to dive further into his research, and when Lyra comes back, she can just tell something's off, and she doesn't know that he's taken all these additional security oaths, and he's deeper in the project, he's deeper into Krennic's web, and it's it's driving them farther and farther apart because he feels like he can't say anything to her, but at the same time, they don't hold secrets from each other, typically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but he uses this giant boulder-sized kyber crystal to really make strides, and, and that's when they use his new research after the explosion, um, it's kind of a newfound research, if you will, to successfully test fire a weapon. Um, and that's when almost Krennic almost loses his job mm-hmm. to none other than... Tarkin. <laughs> Which I love that they explain the moths and they explain Tarkin's role. And I like Tarkin in this book. He seems like a very calculating. Yeah, you get to see them kind of maneuver and battle with each other for who's going to get to be considered, you know, get to inherit this project, to be over the, over the project. And with every success that Krennic has, he tries to turn it into a promotion and a new title. Uh, and at the same time, Tarkin doesn't completely trust him, and he's trying to figure out. I think at one point he's trying to figure out why it's taken him so long to get Galen on board, and he's just always kind of investigating mm-hmm. Krennic behind the scenes or behind his back. Yeah, but a little bit after this time, that's when uh, they're going to try it again, where Krennic is going to send uh, Has Obit in with a, a set of actual weapons now mm-hmm. to send him to a, a system called salient where Verpin industries is headquartered mm-hmm. and he's going to send them in and then they're going to come in and, and take over the planet again and say they were, you know, they had arms on this planet. So we're now, this is now under Imperial rule. Uh, but Hass has a little, a little switch in store for him where he, he teams up with none other than Saul Guerrero. Mm-hmm. I think Krennic is the one that, if you can kind of help me out, I wasn't 100% sure after reading it, but 
Krennic scent has to go. Uh, well, let me let me back up. Krennic and Tarkin were in on the plan to set up these worlds, right? Because Krennic understands that Krennic and uh, Tarkin understand they need these resources. Mm-hmm. Now and they're playing their game of chess. No one mm-hmm. is supposed to be able to touch them. You can't yeah. mine them. You can't do anything unless they turn out to be. Because, like I said earlier, the the war is over, but there's these little pockets of resistance on different planets. So mm-hmm. they're giving the illusion that there's resistance on these planets. And at that point, all their all bets are off. You can do whatever you want with them. Yep. And now this point in the timeline is after Haas or Haas or however you want to. Mm-hmm. Haas has had his change of heart and seen all the destruction has kind of figured out what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he gets this this bigger mission, more weapons on this other planet, and he brings in uh, some of his other smuggler friends and guys like Saw and his team and re- resistance fighters to double but cross. Krennic didn't know about it, right? Right. Because right. there's part of it that seems like he did and then didn't, but I'm I'm pretty sure he was. It was just supposed to be mission number three: go take over that planet. Mm-hmm. And then Hass gets in touch with Saw Gerrera. How? Not 100 percent sure, but he gets in touch with kind of freedom fighters, if you will, rebels. Rebels. And, rebels. <laughs> and then they completely take off. They start a, a mini war, an incursion mm-hmm. in the salient system which then completely takes Tarkin out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Tarkin has to deal with that. That's why I was a little slightly confused if, if Krennic was trying to get him out of the fo- out of the picture. But I'm pretty sure Krennic wasn't aware that was going to happen. Correct. Okay. That's how I understood it. And that that planet, they just kind of decided that, well, if the, um, the Imperials are coming, then we're just going to burn the planet, you know, burn everything down. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they kind of wrecked their own planet and, and on the way out. So yeah, so I'm reading up here just because I'm I was confused on that. And he's Tarkin Tarkin suspected that Krennic allowed Obit to warn the salient system. But I don't think he actually did. I think Krennic was in on it with Tarkin and then Hass just had his own plan. But I'm not 100 percent sure. Either way, while Tarkin's out doing that, Krennic is just trying to keep everything going with Galen and Lyra and try to keep the ship from falling apart. Galen had a, a colleague. Mm-hmm. Do you remember her name? I can't remember. I can't remember right her name, by the way. But she she started, she gave Lyra a call. Mm-hmm. Was trying to like kind of almost pass her secret messages, like telling her what planet she's on over and over and over again and asking kind of sly questions because she's, no one knows that they're all working on the same project. They're all working on different aspects of the same project, whether it's energy amplification or actual armament making it into a weapon and so she's noticing what Lyra noticed where people are starting to go missing right and Krennic visits this team and they pose all these issues and concerns and Krennic you know makes up stories and Mm -hmm. walks out and then tells the stormtrooper basically go kill them all right and they just destroy an entire research team and it kind of it it answers that question what's happening to all these researchers well if they're not doing their job if they're starting to question the project Krennic will just kill them and replace them mm-hmm. but so far he he hasn't made any threats against Lyra or Krennic or, or Galen or anything like that There's so much happens in this book eventually we get to the point that Krennic finds Lyra when she's out on one of her walks with Jin yeah creepily and that's when he sort of 
That's when he makes the first direct threat towards her and Jen. And he's begun to realize that Lyra is the reason he's not really getting what he wants out of Galen or that Lyra may at some point convince him to leave the project. Mm -hmm. And he, he sort of implies that he, he can make them disappear. Yeah. And that I think is the point where she finally decides to tell Galen what she's learned. And then he breaks down and tells her what Galen showed him and they start putting the pieces together. Yeah. And they realize at some point they're going to have to, leave but they've got to first convince krennic that everything's fine yeah and he comes over for dinner which is really important yeah that, that whole time because they've got to play the part of you know kind of like well we because they had the same questions that those researchers did who ended up disappearing mm -hmm. they had questions about people that disappeared and whether they were transferred to other projects or left the project completely and why they can't reach them so they um they put a little show on for krennic when he's over for dinner and kind of say well we had questions and now it's all sorted out we understand now and we'll get back to work which before right before this happens kind of almost simultaneously but right before in the the salient system where tarkin's taken on all these kind of like rebel forces he finally delivers like a crippling blow mm -hmm. where he finds where they're hiding and just bombs the shit out of them and all of the uh inhabitants of the world just decide to leave they destroy everything worth of value and mm -hmm. then leave so he just decides to go on just a to destroying manhunt kills almost everybody saul's gone at this point he's off somewhere else so he luckily survives and that's how he makes it into rogue one um you see him you know still alive and kicking with his metal feet um and <laughs> his tap dancing shoes are on um <laughs> but has obit's one of the few that survive and so Tarkin is interrogating him and he finds right, out he captures he's, he's Krennic's man. Mm -hmm. So he says he figures out how he's going to use him against Krennic. Right. So he sets him off. He he throws him in the back to bath and makes him feel all better and says, well, you basically owe your life to me now. You're going to go do what I say against Krennic. And he sets him off towards Krennic, but it's integral to the part of Lyra and Galen mm -hmm. escaping. Um, but like you said, Lyra has been suspicious She's been kind of planning different options. And really when she's off on one of these planning expeditions, if you will, in Coruscant, trying to figure out how they could get out and stuff, I absolutely love, 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 love Galen and Jen mm -hmm. and Lyra. I love the family dynamic of it. Like we've always said, Star Wars is a, it's a, it's a universe about families, right? Mm -hmm. It's a story about family. And I think it's, Galen is talking to Jen about a book mm -hmm. that she loves. Yeah. And she had drawn the main character, but the main character in her drawing looks just like her father. Which the, And the character is her favorite superhero. Yeah. And he has this moment where he kind of realizes that how his daughter sees him and that it's, I think for him, that's the moment where he decides that it's time to, because Throughout the book, they talk about how Galen gets so lost in his research and Lyra was kind of the one that can ground him and bring him back. And once mm -hmm. they stop talking to each other, he goes further and further into this work and she does a lot of stuff on her own or with Jen and there's this divide. And when he sees that picture and sees how his, his daughter views him, it, it's the moment where he decides to do the right thing and, and just leave the project. Just he, you know, He's trying to build this legacy or he... The important thing about Galen is it's not like he was a bad guy building a weapon. He was trying to make 
unlimited energy for planets. So what he thought mm-hmm. he was doing, he was doing really good work, and that's why he could put that ahead of himself or his family because he was felt like felt like he was going to save the galaxy. Yep. And then he has this this crisis where he starts to realize what his work is being used for, and has to decide that I'm just not 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 just because of what it's be, being used for, but he has to stop working on it because his family is in danger now. Yeah. And that it doesn't his legacy doesn't matter anymore, and they decide to run. And that's, you know, when you see these, before the book came out, obviously, you know, we got a trailer for Rogue One a year ago, and you see, it kind of looks like we didn't know if Galen's alive, has he turned bad? Mm -hmm. You know, there was even theories out there, is Galen going to kill Jin? Is Jin going to kill Galen? You have all these theories about who they are, and then this book really sets the tone of, no, he's a great guy, he's a good, he's a good man, he's a good father, he loves his kid, he loves his wife, he's just been manipulated into thinking that the good work he's done has gone, you know, to intention, you know, to, to evil intentions. And when you see him make that decision of, I have to do this for my daughter, he calls her Stardust and he just, he breaks down, he's crying and he says, I love you, Stardust. And it's just like, that's the whole point. He's decided I'm done with this. I don't have to be a researcher. That's been his entire world. But he now, you know, makes that flip and understands in his head that his wife and his daughter are worth more than all of the research in the, in the galaxy. Yeah. He has to do this for his daughter. And that's when him and Lyra and Lyra's kind of taken off guard when they finally talk about it, where she's like, I didn't think you'd yeah. believe me. I didn't think you'd break away. And he tells her like, you're more important than everything I've been doing. And I, I have to do this for you. And then they kind of manipulate Krennic, who is the, in this book, he is the ultimate manipulator besides Palpatine, you know? And so they, they make Krennic feel like rest assured that they're they're there for him. They're there for the project. They just had to get their objections out, but now they feel good about it. Right. And Krennic leaves, and then decides, you know what? I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna I'm gonna resolidify this. I'm gonna make it seem like I wasn't sure, but I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna reinsert myself a little bit more. And when he comes back, they're gone. They're gone. They they did it just to set him up to make him feel better. So that they could then get out of there. What was interesting to me, at least, is that uh, Galen left all his research behind. Um, he decided that if he tried to edit it, that Galen would figure out that it had been changed. If he and if he destroyed it, he knew that Galen would. I'm you love Krennic. Krennic. <laughs> I keep doing that. He knew yeah. Krennic would never stop looking for them. Yeah. And he said, if I just leave it, maybe we have a chance to get away, away and hide and. If I if they if they need me they'll they'll never stop stop looking mm-hmm. and he kind of knows they're they're gonna do this with or without him, um, might as well take the chance that they won't come looking for us. Yeah, but he does. The only thing he edits is some text messages, basically right. some some messages between Lyra and an individual off planet that is gonna help in their mm-hmm. their decision to get out. And so they send him a message: "We're ready, let's go," and they leave. And Krennic shuts down everything, turns on. The police radio band puts out their faces on big billboards and stuff, and now the manhunt is out for them. Um, and it was written in a way to set up that to make you think that she was trying to contact Haas. Mm-hmm. And so when Haas gets to Coruscant and gets intercepted by Krennic, you think, oh, okay, they're screwed. Yeah. Um, but it turns out... Well, it turns out Haas was sent by Tarkin, mm-hmm. like we said a second ago. But he's decided he's not going to work for Tarkin. He's still going to work for Krennic. But he doesn't tell him anything about Tarkin. 
He doesn't tell him anything about Lyra. He plays the part of, I'm back here to help you out. Like, I'm mm-hmm. back here to get in touch with you, for you to help me, to help you. I want to get back to our old ways of doing work together. But really, Haas was the person he was in contact with, and he contacted his old buddy, tap dancing, <laughs> metal feet, Saul Guerrero. And right. Saul Guerrero is the one that meets them and helps them get off planet. And it ends with a great, a great, the, the last chapter is from the perspective of Jen, which I thought was mm-hmm. beautiful writing, where she even talks about, you know, I'm looking at Papa and I'm looking at Mama and kind of in her internal perspective. And they're going to go off world. Sauce found them a planet. It's kind of backwaters. It's undeveloped, but it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. No one's going to look for you there. And you know, it ends with them looking at a star field with Jen in her dad's arms, feeling safe and sound and Saul not understanding up. what yeah. anything is not. She even says it. I don't know what the empire is, but I know mommy and daddy don't like it, Yep. but I'm warm and I'm in dad's arms. So I'm going to be safe. And like, I don't know if you can hear my voice. That's such oh, a beautiful moment. Up. It's such he's a beautiful moment. Up. Such a beautiful moment. Fuck you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they go off and then boom, now it's now it's time for Rogue One. Yep. And Saw should be mentioned, Saw leaves them away to get in contact with him if they ever need to get off planet. Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting to to see the way that, you know, just kind of an overarching idea behind the in the book is to see these internal workings of why people are doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. how they're doing it, and just the mass manipulation of an entire galaxy. It's just so interesting. I mean, going into Rogue One, I don't know what it's going to be or how it's going to go. There's all kinds of theories. There's all kinds of speculation. But I know I know we're not going to get as in-depth in a movie that you do in a, in a book in terms of people's inner workings, their thought processes. Mm-hmm. But I know I'm going to have a better idea of when I see these characters on the screen when they make a move or they say say a line, what they've been thinking beforehand, that's really exciting. But Rogue One, this book in Rogue One sets a different side of the universe that we've never seen before. And I am hiccuping like crazy. It's going to be really interesting He's to see. Crying. Shut up, I'm not crying anymore. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see it's okay, what's going to happen. Continue, sorry. My, my apologies. Okay, it's going to be interesting to see how this this all comes together. Yeah, um, because you know they we when we've done previous podcasts we've talked about it. This is supposed to be a war movie. It's mm-hmm. supposed to have a different tone, but I don't know if that tone is going to be all war and then there's going to be these little spurts of family in there. But even if it's just a pure war movie, there's now if you read this book, you have a better idea of how you got to this point, and not just like time wise, but the inner thinkings and beings of these individuals. So it's really interesting. I really hope going forward, like with the, with the rest of the movies they make, they, they keep doing this where they give us a, a tie-in book a month before that actually matters. They did little tie-ins to Force Awakens, but nothing important happened. No. And it, it didn't really get you give you... Because in that case, they were trying to keep the characters such a mystery that they couldn't give you anything that showed anything important happening or really mm-hmm. understand the characters. And I think with Force Awakens, they were changing their mind up until the last minute of what the movie was going to be or mm-hmm. how things were going to turn out. So it was nice to see this. And I don't think that we're going to get that with Episode Eight. I don't think we're going to get books that give us any insight to anything beforehand. I think they're going to finish that whole trilogy before they really start digging in and expanding upon people. And So my only hope is that with the standalone movies that 
we get books that matter that lead right up so you can kind of if you want to go in and with a better understanding of who everybody is and everything that's led up to that moment because they could do that with han solo mm-hmm. they could give us another adventure right before the movie opens and he's already friends with lando they could do a book about how they met sure if in the film he meets lando in the film then there's plenty of other things we could do who you know he, he may already know chewbacca so we give give us a book on them meeting something that matters that ties that directly ties in not uh, it's taking place in the same kind of corner of the universe so, or here's this one character you saw in the background that doesn't matter in the movie we'll tell you about them so are han and chewie in your mind then like they're enemies and they're fighting, but then they realize both their mother's name is Martha and yes, they become best friends. That's exactly it. And they say but we're gonna go now, on adventures together. Can you tell together? me how does how does Chewie pronounce Martha? Martha. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think on that note, <laughs> Tim, take us out. Uh, just as we end every podcast, we want to let you know the views and opinions expressed on this podcast by the hosts and their guests are theirs alone and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Walt Disney Company or Lucas Films. With that being said. I love you, Stardust. I love you. Oh, yeah, Star Wars.